Welcome to Lineouts by Earful of Dirt, bringing you conversations with rugby newsmakers about the greatest sport on the planet. And we're live. Earful of Dirt's Lineouts, episode 21 with Chris Cracknell. After some, you know, some technical difficulties we got worked out, we are we are here on a Monday for the double header. I don't usually try to do these, but we're good to go. So, Chris, you you are a knight of some kind. Give the uh, yeah. <laughs> give the order of Fiji. Uh, official uh, uh, officer of Fiji, of Fiji. Yeah, so very very lucky to have that title. Yeah. So, so when did you begin playing rugby? But, you know. <laughs> Hey, I, I, I don't have, you know, any knighthood behind my name, so that's kind of cool. So rugby, when did you begin playing this lovely sport? Um, rugby was introduced to me at uh, a club called Maidenhead, uh, which is where I'm from, where I grew up. Um, I was playing at sort of sports at school, and a couple of the guys I was playing with were like, look, we, we play at the local rugby club, do you fancy it? Um, and I just happened to be the big kid in the class, and, and that and that was it. Really. That's how it all got started. And I went down there for, for my entire sort of junior rugby career, all the way through to senior level. And I played senior football at the club as well. Oh, you played soccer? Uh, rugby. Sorry, wrong, wrong use of term. So I played senior rugby down at the club. Uh, well, so I mean, I I always say for me, there's only two kinds of football. There's there's rugby football, and there's American football. People refer people refer to football, you know, like in the American sense is like I don't like people you aren't intermixing the two. So I mean that's where where the difference is is so you have like gridiron football, you have association football, you have yeah. rugby football, and then there's Australian rules football. And it's like just just call one each, but I've never so where you're from, you just call rugby football. That's cool. I like that. I'm about that. I think for me, it's just a it's, it's a force of habit of spending too much time with Aussies and Kiwis uh, over the years. So, you know, that, that's what they genuinely turn rugby as is football, and yeah, it's just a slip of the tongue. So, well, good to go. I'm all about that. So, um, did you play any other sports growing up in the UK? Yeah, I played soccer, uh, cricket. Uh, I was, you know, my, my parents encouraged me to play as many sports as possible, um, and it's something that I've encouraged any sort of youth, uh, youth sports men and women that I come across is that, that you know they play the most amount of sports because I just think it gives you the best foundation to to hand eye coordination, things that you can go out and enjoy, um, and gives you a better sort of understanding of what your 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 skill set career in uh, sorry a career in sport. Um, by playing as much as possible all different varieties when you're a kid, it's, it gives you a good foundation. So do you and Sir Richie play pickup games of cricket? Today <laughs> Well, Richie McCall was like a, uh, you know, uh, an age-grade cricket player for New Zealand before he committed to rugby full-time. So, I, th- I think you find, you know, you find quite a lot of, uh, of athletes and, and guys that have played professional sport of any, any kind, men and women, you know, quite a lot of the women, uh, female superstars of the, of the sevens game now have all played netball or some other sport. Quite a lot of top sportsmen, if you go and speak to them, rugby and, and soccer and et cetera, et cetera, that have played some other sport uh, growing up. And I think that, you know, helps them in terms of their development when they're a kid you know, to be a fantastic athlete or sportsman. 
How would you describe the school system when it comes to how rugby works in the UK? Is it, you know, you have schoolboy rugby versus, I guess, club rugby. How do they integrate? Uh, I think, in all honesty, now um, it's a very, very, very overly saturated market. There's a lot of demands on the kids back in the UK to, to go and play uh, a lot of rugby um, because they're playing at the school and then there's the demands of that and, the, and the, especially the depends, um private schools. There's a lot of development at SNC. So you're getting 18-year-old kids coming out of school and they're, they're bigger than most guys that are professionals. You know, they've got full-time SNC programs there as well as the rugby being full-time being taken very seriously. Um, and then you're going away from that and you've got the state school system uh, and you've got some fantastic athletes who aren't necessarily getting that uh, strength and conditioning exposure um, in the UK. But you've got some fantastic athletes that could go on to play the sport at a high level. So there's a real saturated market in terms of kids that are playing rugby in the UK um, and and the opportunities are certainly there. It just depends on what catchment area you're in, be it aligned to a, an, an academy or a, a professional rugby system or whether you have to go the old school route of playing for your club and, and coming that way through. So I think there is more opportunities than anywhere in the world for people to play rugby in the UK just purely for the amount of schools that are playing it and the amount of competitions, the seven, the development of sevens over there and, and the sheer numbers, number of junior clubs. So how would you describe your journey in professional rugby? Uh, checkered at times. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, I was one of the lucky kids that, that came from an area that was at, the, at that particular time, a rugby hotbed. Uh, Maidenhead had probably one of the largest junior sections in the country um and uh you know I, I went through this through the system there um i left left school early uh the school i was at was a uh was a sporting school um and i sort of probably lent more towards that than staying in the classroom um and i was uh, you know given the opportunity to go to harlequins at a very young age um but i was out of school at that time and there were some guys that were there who were still in school and would come in uh, on a semi-regular basis and i was one of the ones that was there regularly because it was the opportunity that was in front of me as a 17-year-old. So you played senior rugby starting with Newbury. Um, how many teams? My senior rugby started when I was at Maidenhead. And, uh, oh, and then, really? Yeah. Okay. Then, I to, um, uh, then I went on to Harlequins. Uh, so I left Maidenhead and went on to Harlequins. So you, you were playing senior rugby as like 16-year-old? Yeah, basically. Um, you know, oh, I was, so I, how often does that happen? I college. Um, so I left. I left school and gone to college, um, and it was. I basically, I'm a boat builder by trade, so I was given the opportunity to go and uh, to to play professional rugby, or I was going to go off and and continue that. Um, and I thought, well, I'll try rugby, and if it goes and and it works out for me, then I'll see how far I can get. Uh, if not, I've always got my trade to to fall back on, and. What we're now some 16 years later and I'm in, in San Diego coaching still. So, uh, you know, the, the building career has to go on hold for a bit longer. <laughs> so um, at Newbury, like how would you, how many teams in national one are really trying to get to the championship and be professional? Well, back, back then it was, it, it was all change. Uh, you know, you, you can't, I think going back, probably over 10 or 12 years now to when I was playing at Newbury. And um, back then it was, it was a different market. Um, there was a lot more, a lot, you know, we hadn't had the recession yet in the UK. So sponsorship was easier for some of the small 
clubs to pick up, etc., etc. And uh, Harlequins the year before, and they've gone relegated down into our into international one uh, as it was then, which is now the championship. Um, and it's gone through different um, uh, different types of setup over the years. Back then, it went to um, promotion and relegation. So if you're in top top team, you went back up, which is what it's now come back to. They went to an eight-team playoff system. They went to a four-team playoff system with home and away. So for those teams in that at that level, really, at that time, there was probably only three or four sides that were really gunning for promotion into the Premiership because they were the only ones that could facilitate the needs and the requirements to play in the Premiership. Um, and at the time, Newbury had the foundation uh, and they had the stand that they could build and develop if they got close to it. Um, you know, and, and that was sort of what what Ben Ryan was striving for. He got the team for the championship uh, back then and I, and I came in from Quinns uh, in the premiership to to be part of that squad and, and try and sort of make Newbury sustainable in the championship. You know, that time with, uh, you know, Newbury, you then moved on to Cornish Pirates. Yeah. Uh, you played a lot with them during that three-year period. So, you know, Newbury to... Cornwall what what was you know that experience like uh you know and Cornish Pirates are they're a lot more ambitious now it seems like uh it looks like well back, there's gonna be a stadium built yeah well back then the stadium was being talked about I mean that was the reason why I left Newbury and went to there because you know Newbury were going to be a, a mid to mid to bottom table team um and Cornish Pirates that year I think finished second or third um and you know I was an opportunity to go there and as a young lad that I was back then um, you know you want to play at the highest level and uh, possible and, and that was the opportunity that was given to me to go and play for the Pirates um, by Dickie Evans who's the owner down there and he's he's the main guy behind the stadium for Cornwall that's been pushed for so many years and, and it's fantastic that they've now got it because it's going to change not only rugby down there in terms of the opportunity to have a premiership team but it gives people jobs and, and it makes you know that sort of I suppose that bottom left-hand corner of the UK if you like far more um, accessible for people to, to go down there and live and get better jobs so it's it's, it's not just a, a rugby thing that going in it's, it's a really big thing for the county and for everybody in Cornwall. Fantastic that Dickie, Dickie hasn't you know taken his eye off it and, he, and he's kept kept persevering and persevering and there's a lot more people that have you know, put weight behind it than just him, but it's fantastic for the area that's going to have a potential opportunity to have a, a premiership rugby team. You broke into England sevens in 2008. Did that put your 15th career on delay? No, not at all, really. I, I was still playing sevens, uh, and sorry, playing 15s whilst I was playing sevens. I was at Pirates at the time. Um, I'd been playing sevens for years, even before I went to to, to Harlequins and, and to Newbury. Um I, I was playing sevens in the summer for invitational teams such as White Hart Marauders, for Samurai, um, for uh, for another side, for the Apache back there, which are they're all sort of invitational teams. And it was a good way of keeping fit in the summer. Um, I'd been involved in the Young England side, which Mike Friday, who uh, coaches US, uh, US sevens, was part of, and that was part of a development pathway. So sevens had always kind of been alongside my 15s career. Um, it just so happened that in I I got given the opportunity um, to be to, to get capped, and I'd been part of the squad that season alongside my 15s commitment. So I think you know we're, we're now in a different time. This is back in 2007, 2008, nearly 10 years ago. 
where uh, you weren't. It was the game was very very physical and very demanding, but we didn't know so much about the demands and what the body was being put under. So you would just quite happily get on with it. You know, you wanted to play rugby as much as possible, and you know, I think you would have played thirty to forty games plus in a season back then, and not thought anything of it, and then gone and played ten or twelve sevens tournaments in the summer. So. You know, look at player welfare. Probably wasn't the best thing, but we didn't know any better. Um, and uh, and you know, it was good fun. So, two thousand eight to the oh, wow, two thousand eight to two thousand nine, you you were with Exeter. How would you describe Exeter? Uh, Exeter's another fantastic club. Um, I uh, I mean that 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 year I spent a lot of time away with the Sevens because we had a World Cup. Um, but they're both both Cornish Pirates and, and Exeter fantastic clubs in terms of what they build. I had a couple of the best years I ever had were down at Cornish Pirates in terms of my enjoyment of rugby. Um, and in Exeter, there was always, you could see they were always going to become a premiership team. Once Tony Rowe had built the stadium and that foundation had been set, it was only a matter of time really as to when they'd get promoted. It wasn't a, a question of if and maybe, it was, you know, it was when, when is this going to happen? Um, because of the fantastic foundations that they they laid down and and the commitment that was made by him and um, him and Rob Baxter and all the other guys that have been been behind it there, so you know that that part of the world is rugby through and through. Um, southwest of England, you know, rugby is the main sport, not soccer or or anything else. So you go down there and and, and everybody lives and breathes it. So it's it's fantastic because you get the you get the support. But also, it gives it gives a lot back to the community. So, Exeter's really been a shining light for that down there, um, and, and that's why I think it's fantastic that Pirates be for this stadium as well, because that really is a, a hotbed of rugby for for, for 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 England. So, you then played at Bath. Uh, I think it was. I think I saw only four games. Like, why was that so short? What happened? Um, I left Exeter to go to Bath, um, and I basically uh, during during the season um, I was uh, I was you know, playing or involved in the squad, um, and then they signed Luke Watson, who was always coming in, uh, and he turned up sort of just going into Christmas time. Um, the the opportunity then arose for me to go to Worcester for the rest of the season. They had an injury crisis, so a lot you see it a lot in in soccer people transfer. Uh, midway through a season because they're not being used or whatever and, and that was just the case for me I was behind you know a, an international uh, loose forward in Luke um, at, as he came to go to Worcester so you know again you know I, I just wanted to play rugby and 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 develop and be the best version I could of myself at the time and and that was the opportunity that presented itself at Worcester. So go to Worcester um played 10 games, you know, I understand controversy surrounding that you, you had a suspension, uh, following that. Um, but you, you look at Wooster now just on the outside looking in, are they in the same place as they were eight years ago? Basically, um, either just treading water in the premiership or just trying to get promoted again. Cause they don't seem to, uh, I, I think that would have been a fair assessment a couple of years ago, um, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but Gary Gold came in a couple of years ago and, and really changed everything to the club. And then he's obviously left and now come here. But with that, um, uh, with that he's brought in Alan Solomons, 
And so, you know, what Gary's done in terms of changing the club around and developing them on the right pathway, they are now a much more sustainable team. I mean, some of their score lines this year are scores that have not um, regularly uh, created in, in the Premiership. So now they're starting to develop and win games regularly. They're getting a run of two, three, four games. They're knocking off bigger teams. You know, and when I was there, you know, we were fighting for our lives week in, week out, and unfortunately, we got relegated that season. Um, you know, and it was it was a tough, tough uh, seven months or whatever it was. I was at the club. I know it's less than that, but you know, the, the club has certainly developed in that time. Um, and having guys like Gary and now Alan come in have developed the club into into you know starting to take strides forward. And um, you know, I'm not. I know that the you know the Premiership is a pretty ruthless league. Uh, and there's a lot of clubs that have faltered this year, um, but Worcester have certainly finished on a high, and, and team seem to be taking steps in the right direction. For them, it will now be about recruitment over the summer, players that they're bringing in, and making sure that they're they're on the front foot going into next season, and don't just rest on the fact that they had a good end to year. So you know, in 2010, you you become the guy uh, it, for England Sevens. You were like the first full-time contracted guy. Uh, you follow your old coach from Newbury, Ben Ryan, to play for him. So how did, you know, how did that happen? Uh, I, basically with, I suppose, the cloud that uh, my 15s career ended under at Worcester, um, I, I was, you know, I, I had an option, basically. My option was uh, to go and play overseas um, to continue my 15s career. Um, or uh, at that time, there was the Commonwealth Games. Uh, I'd been, been involved a little bit that year with England Sevens in between uh, playing for Worcester and for Bath, um, and the Olympic inclusion had been, had been given the green light uh, post Dubai in 2009. Um, and so the choice was I either go overseas and, and try and resurrect my 15s career, or I could go to Commonwealth Games, um, and I could go to potentially in Olympia, I go to a world I could go to another World Cup. Um and and I got the opportunity to work with Ben again. And Ben rang me up and was like, look, we want to offer full time sevens contracts. Um we want to give give one to you. What do you think? And for me it was a no brainer because you know I've I've worked with Ben for years and I loved sevens and it almost felt like everything that happened at Worcester happened for a reason. And that was, you know, to go down the path of, of playing sevens. And I, I love my time on the sevens and I love traveling. I love going experiencing different cultures and you know the whole sort of world the crazy sort of circus that comes with it um and the opportunity to go to commonwealth games and potentially an olympics was was a big thing for me uh you know i grew up um watching olympics on tv as a, as a kid and it just kind of i suppose set off this dream of, of having the opportunity to go to a major uh, sporting event such as that um and and that, and that was you know, it was it was as simple as that really because of those sort of uh, two opportunities to go to those major events and, and compete for my country. Is everyone in England sevens on full time contracts now? They are yes yeah I think there's around uh, probably twenty twenty two guys that are on full time contracts. So when you started you know full time sevens you started coaching around this time I think did you yeah, you returned to Maidenhead right. I spend most of my rugby career coaching alongside. I've got um, good links with my with places I went to school, um, so I'd often go back and help coach uh, some friends that had then gone on to to take up um, schooling, uh, sort of teaching jobs. 
Um, so I'd always go back and help them out. So I was, and I helped coach a couple of my old clubs. I'd go back to Maidenhead um, and coach down there and a couple of other local clubs. I'd go in. So I'd sort of started that coaching, sort of not career as such, but I'd started gaining experience as a coach. Um, and then when I went into the, the full-time sort of squad with England, uh, the women's team at that time were being run um, along, along not, they were sort of being run part-time, but they were part of the World Series that was being developed um, and they had a few tournaments throughout the year and then there was World Cups, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that kind of forged uh, a sort of pathway for me to develop my coaching career um, in a more, I suppose, pressure cooker environment that is international rugby um, and and also gain a different experience from the women and how you deliver and, and how you conduct yourself and, and talk to talk to players and, and making sure that you're getting the right message across and the different challenges that come with that. Um, and that's that's sort of how it all started, really, um, because unbeknownst to me, you know, injuries start to come in when you're when you get older, and the opportunity to coach became more and more prominent. Um, so I helped do some, some talent ID work and set up a, a talent ID program for the RFU with, um, with the guidance of, of Barry Maddox, who was the women's head coach then, um, and and we've developed a few young players that came through that are now playing for. England women on the on the World Series. Debs Fleming being one of the sort of most notable girls that came out of that as a as a talent ID athlete from netball and athletics. So, you know, Russia, twenty thirteen rugby World Cup sevens. Yeah, uh, you played and then had to like skitter over and coach, you know, women sevens. Like how? How did that like work out at you know at that level of tournament? Because their schedule like throughout the year is different from the men's side. That will that, that year was the uh, the year that I, I actually first picked picked up my first major injury. So in the beginning of the year in the Gold Coast, um, I did my knee um, and had to have a knee reconstruction. So I'd spent the majority of the season coaching the girls um during during the weekend so we train monday to friday and then saturday and sunday the girls would come into camp um and that was sort of my week if you like it was a seven day week um i was also helping ben do some things with the forwards um with with the senior squad so because i was injured i used it as an opportunity to do the best i could to help um and, and use the experience that i had from playing to, to help the girls and uh, and to help the sort of men's team. So that year was more of a coaching year than a playing year. Um, and it's just kind of, you know, one of those things, sevens for me was always, and, and always will be a, a passion. Um, and I enjoyed sort of flipping between the two. And, and I suppose not having the pressures of being a head coach or anything like that. I was consultant coach. You know, you just, you could easily go in and just give a few pointers and work on small things. And you didn't necessarily have to look at the whole, big picture it was a sort of opportunity to do a bit of troubleshooting if there was anything needed looking at in a specific manner so it wasn't you know it, it seemed like a big task but it really wasn't because it was you know you could focus on small little parts to make uh, make improvements where they were needed so when you finished with england you followed ben ryan um to fiji as an assistant to him and then you took over fijiana yeah how did how did all of that happen uh, so I, I I had to retire basically. I did my knee again for the second time, um, and it, it was just an unfortunate thing, but something that comes to every rugby player. Um, and at the time, 
I was living in London doing my uh, doing my rehab, um, which again is a pretty odious task. And Ben called me up and was like, "Look, I haven't got an assistant over here, um, and you know we've worked together as as player and coach, and we've coached co-coached alongside each other a little bit with England. Um, I need somebody to help me with the forwards uh, and some defensive stuff, and potentially look at defence and just just help me out and you know sort of be an eye in the sky for him." Um, so I moved out there. I can't remember what it was now. It was early on in the 2014-15 season, um, and and, I, and over I went to Fiji with a with a rucksack and and, a, and my passport and came back. I think six months later, whatever it was, to the UK to uh, to round up the World Series in, in, in London. And I had a another a year of, of experience under my belt as a as an assistant coach to Ben. Um, and then we were moving into the to the Olympic year, as you like, uh, and the Fijiana hadn't qualified through the World Series. So to to basically get paid, um, and the opportunity arose to have a full time role with the women, and that would be my my my, my role, my paid role, um, but continue my my job as the assistant coach. So I ended up with a dual dual job, if you like. My first six months in Fiji was actually unpaid. Um, because it was the opportunity to gain a fantastic work experience, but also um, to, to help them out over there. So, you know, it was, um, it was a, again, one of those things that kind of like, you know, is this going to be possible? Because it was, it was a step up, but having experienced working across both programs before with England, there wasn't a problem in being able to balance, balance both of them, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Um, and and the athletes that we got to work with in Fiji and the girls and the, and the boys, it was you know, really really exciting uh, exciting time and to, and to get to work with that group of women um, who really really had to kind of work for everything to to get uh, all the support that they needed uh, was a fantastic opportunity and um, you know it's it's great to see they really sort of still kicking on each time they they take the field on the World Series. So what what made you leave Fiji? Um, I went. I went there with a with a job to do, and that was you know to, to do the best that we could for the Fijiana. Um, they had never been full time, uh, and so when we started the program in October, before so what's that? Eight months out from the Olympics, nine months out from the Olympics, um, it was get them qualified, and we did that. Tick that box. They were qualified. Uh, do the best we could on the World Series to develop for the Olympics. Uh, key message, you know, in terms of my job whilst I was there was to to win the Olympics with the men and, and to try and win another World Series. Um, so when we got to the end of that year and we were in the Olympic Village, myself and Ben, it was a case of, well, you know, do we continue this journey or if we're successful, is that the end of the journey? Um, and I followed Ben out there um, and, you know, both of us decided, uh, you know, in, the, in this sort of, um, in the aftermath, if you like, of, of Rio that, the best thing for us to do was, was to move on and to, to go and take up new challenges. And and for, for the both of us, it was a fantastic, uh, fantastic journey over there. I mean, such a memorable experience um, in terms of every everything, not just rugby, but life um, and everything that happened over there uh, was was incredible. And it was always been a deep, deep memory for me. But it was time to move on to the next thing and uh, and the next opportunities that were out there. And um, and it just felt like it was the right time to leave. So before we get to right now, hmm. what happened in between leaving Fiji and taking this job? 
Uh, well, I moved, moved back to the UK. Um, sort of, uh, I, I took a bit of time out. I, I, I applied for a few other sevens roles, um, and then really, to be honest, I wanted to get stuck stuck into fifteens. I wanted to challenge myself in a different environment. Um, I ended up doing some consultancy work over in China, uh, trying to help help them set up their sevens program, and they've recently just qualified for the uh, for the World Series. Um, uh, so it was kind of a year of, if you like, finding finding my feet, finding where I wanted to go next in terms of the next steps of my career. Um, and I wanted to challenge myself in a different environment. You know, Ben, who I'd worked alongside for so long, was going off on his his other path. And like I say, the Fiji thing had come to an end and we both decided that was the right time to move on. Um, so it just took a bit of time, really, to kind of find the right thing, um, the right opportunity. Uh, and that's... You know where San Diego and, and and the opportunity here came along through Matt Hawkins and and the guys there. So I'm guessing you know Matt from playing against him on the series. Just a little bit. <laughs> you know. So, um, you know, what was the decision point to come to San Diego? For me, um, it was the day he rang me up. It was about Christmas time and said, "Mate, get on a plane and." And, and come out. Um, you know, this is what the, the job is. This is what we want you to do. Um, you're going to be working alongside Rob, well, underneath Rob Hoadley and alongside Zach Test. Um, Zach and myself know each other really, really well from the circuit. Um, and I know Rob from the UK uh, and played against him um, and also played with his brother. So for me, it was, you know, the opportunity too good to, to turn down. Um, it was to come and live in a fantastic part of the world, um, work with an incredibly exciting opportunity in terms of building this rugby club and, and, and building part of part of the MLR and the vision that goes with that. Uh, and it, it, for me, it was the right opportunity, exactly what I was looking for when I left Fiji, to come and be a part of something exciting and new. And, uh, and, it, and this has certainly been that ever since I've been here. So you're the forwards coach. What is your philosophy with scrumming and the set piece offense. Um, I don't want to give away too much. <laughs> You're supposed to give away more than Rob did because I I don't need to spend too much analyzing. I mean, that's what I do every game. I just analyze the, in, yeah. the entire thing. But I mean, if I know what you're going to do, it makes it easier to analyze. Yeah, I'd love to give away a lot, but I can't. Um, you know, it's rugby is. Um, a fantastic game of all sort of shapes and sizes. So, you know, at the moment, you know, going around to what we're doing, we we just want to develop the players and the guys as best we can each time we get to the opportunity to train. You know, we've got guys like Tony Papua and Dolph Botha who obviously got a world of experience. Um, and underneath that, we've got some guys that are, are converting from from other sports. So, um, in terms of philosophy, if you like. And at the moment, I just want to develop those guys to be the best rugby players that they can uh, for each time that they take the field and represent the Legion. So this is where the, the, the tough question, so, well, maybe not. So stylistically, hmm. the pack, what are you trying to have them do stylistically? Not, the, not, your, not your attack, because you already told me you're, you're not giving me that, but – there's a little bit more to like nuance of how you know the boys get after it. How, how do you mean get after it? Well, I mean, so you have different 
your your scrum does different things other than you know like your your attack like how do they what is the style you want from them because we we look at i guess southern hemisphere we look at irish we look at english you know all that stuff each scrum and line out is to provide you know um a good set piece and, and, and a foundation for your attack so you know it's i don't think it's any uh any secret that any team wants to have that solid foundation what to provide week in week out is a solid solid foundation for, for our attack to thrive and for zach's uh for zach's backs to be unleashed in, a, in an attack so you know defensively you want to disrupt and i think that's any team whether it's us, whether it's Houston, whether it's Austin, they're going to want to disrupt up front and, and not allow a team to get on the get good quality ball to launch their attack. Yeah, you know, this is where it gets tough. Or it could be tough. It depends on your answer. So I've watched a lot of your guys' film and so so have others, and people have been fairly critical of like how you guys have been scrumming to yeah. date. Um, this Saturday, uh, you got I think you guys improved a lot. Um yep. Um, I think you, in the, I, w- I would say in the first preseason match I watched, there was definitely up front, there were, you know, technical differences between your guys and Austin. There mm-hmm. was, and then we saw last week a significant like difference. Whereas what has been the adjustment to fix the problems you've seen in analysis? Well, the adjustments are that we're developing. As I said to you at the top of the top of the podcast, each week as a coach, you want to help player develop and you want a player to improve and you want to make those incremental uh, improvements week in, week out. And at the moment, you know, that's that's what we're striving to do. Another game, another tough game against Houston on Friday night. Um, and we approved, improved from Seattle and, and we took steps forward into the game yesterday. Uh, and that's what we want to do this week is just to make sure that we're improving each time we take the field and uh, and the guys you know working hard today was a recovery day for them and, and tomorrow they're back in and and making those steps forward and for me as a coach is to make sure that I'm you know we're not replicating the mistakes that we're making um, and we're learning where we're making those mistakes and we're moving forward in our in our practice and our craft each time we get an opportunity so how do you guys adjust um practice? Uh, time and uh, I guess repetitions because you just said they have the day off today and then you have a short week. You played on Sunday and now you play again on Friday. So how do you mitigate? Uh, there's, you know, there's all, there's always uh, there's always more than one way to skin a cat. So you know it doesn't necessarily have to be on the field. There's film. Uh, you know there's there's there's, there's low intensity work that the guys can be doing. Um, you know, they can be self-analyzing. They can be working together. They can work as a group. Uh, you know, there's there's all sorts of manner of of ways of getting around development um, and developing developing the person, not just developing us as a, as a side. Because if we develop each individual, you know, then the squad has a better outcome uh, and a better group moving forward. So, in terms of the short turnaround and week, you know, we we work on some technical things uh, as we do every week. But we might then lower the load in terms of time out on the paddock or time hitting the scrum machine or you know time doing live scrums, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever it may be, whichever way we want to structure the week, um, we just make sure we get that balance right so that the boys are ready to go again on Friday, but have improved as much as they can 
in the five days that we've got to get them right. So I see you've got a Sunto on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I run around with one of them GPS watches. What, what, what are you using yours for? Me? Um, I use it to keep the boys in check. <laughs> uh, no, I've, um, you know, I've, I've, one of the reasons for moving to a place like this for me is I love being outdoors. So there's some amazing hikes to go on here. I, you know, I can surf, I can run, I can go on the beach. So for me, it's uh, as, as much as a tool for work as it is for my own personal kind of you know, health and well-being. So, uh, you know, I use it to time the boys, whether it be scrum session, whether it be a drill or a practice that we're doing. It's, it's a multiple, multiple use tool, if you like. <laughs> so what's your favorite part of San Diego? Yeah, I saw that on the questions when you sent them over. Um, I first came here in 2008, I think it was, on the sevens, um, and it's changed dramatically. Right, it's changed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 I, I always, always loved it as a city. I thought it was great back then. Um, not that my memory was too clear from the night out in the Gasland district, but um, it's I, I suppose it's one of those answers. You, if you ask me that 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever it is, We've had a completely different answer. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, Carlsbad and Encinitas and the, the village kind of vibe down down by the ocean. Um, I'm very, very lucky that I live in, in Del Mar um, and really enjoying this area. Uh, the beach here is beautiful. And like I say, I like to surf and get out in the ocean. So uh, I can drive you know, the other side of the five and, and, and get in the surf uh, when I have some spare time. And uh, I think, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm just enjoying exploring all of it at the moment. Uh, I wouldn't say I can hang my hat on one place that's my favourite, but I'm lucky. I live in I live in Del Mar, and it's an incredible place to live, and I've experienced as much of it as I can uh, when I can. And uh, you know, San Diego is just a great place to to live in the world, and I've seen plenty of the of the globe, and this is definitely one of the best spots I've been to. Are you sure it wasn't for the horse racing? <laughs> uh, I've been told about the season, but I haven't yet to see it. So, you know, I'll that question in six months when I've got through the summer, and uh, and, I, and I might I might have a different answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, that's all I got. Well, Chris, um, great to have you on. This has been Lineouts by Earful of Dirt. Connect with Earful of Dirt online. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. For Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for listening.